Hey, let's open your Bibles to the book of Acts, shall we? All right, well, that was kind of a mild woo, but that'll do. Okay, the book of Acts. So far in the book of Acts, the, the, the subtitle of this series is called The Spirit-Filled Church, so that it, it, it poses or begs the question, uh, that what we're trying to do is we're, we're exploring the answers to, well, what is a spirit-filled church? What does it look like? And so we're, we're, that's the question that we're responding to as we go through this. So far we have seen uh, that the Spirit-filled church experiences the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, yeah. that that is the, the principal thing upon which a spirit-filled church is built, is the outpouring, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Either, that's either old news or meh news, but it's better news than that. The Spirit-filled, the Spirit-filled church is built primarily upon the fulfilled and being fulfilled promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is the capital T, capital P promise of God. We are a people of the Spirit, marked by the Spirit, and by that self-same Spirit, we will be raised again to live forever with the Lord. We are primarily, singularly, a people of the Spirit. Okay, working on it. <laughs> we have heard the apostolic gospel preached. We have observed the apostolic, the spirit, the origins, the initial beginnings of the spirit-filled church. We've seen praise and wonder at the power of the name of Jesus. The spirit-filled church lives through for by the power of the name of Jesus. We've heard that there is salvation in his name. And only in his name. We've seen the first efforts to silence that name. Today we will see how the church responds to opposition, to threat and even persecution. At least we'll, the beginning. We'll, it, it, the beginning of persecution. We be, it starts and we see how they respond. Now, what we've also heard is that Luke has told us that the church prays. The Spirit-filled church prays. Luke has told us that. He said, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they devoted themselves to prayer. He's told us they prayed. But today we get to hear them pray. And again, some of these passages for you, you know, Bible-aholics might be super familiar. And that's great. But we need to, but, but try to listen with a fresh lens. For instance, listen today understanding that what we're going to read is the first recorded prayer of the church. Post-Pentecost, this is them lifting up their voices in prayer. This is what it sounded like. This is what they prayed. So we want to listen to two things. What does Luke want us to hear? And how should we respond to that in our context? single sentence that I, that I want to press upon us today is that the Spirit-filled church prays for boldness and power. Yeah. Every time. Forget my Bible. I mean, don't forget it. I just leave it over here. Okay, so we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 4 today. And we're going to look at, uh, right at uh, Acts 4, 23, and then we'll go to verse 31. Are you ready? All right. I'm going to read this like out loud, loud, and then like it's not the back of a mayonnaise jar because it's very exciting. 
Here we go. Verse 23. As soon as they were freed. Let me just explain that. Who's they? This is Peter and John. They had been meeting with the Sanhedrin. They were the Sanhedrin threatened them. Never speak ever in the name of Jesus ever again. And as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report... All the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time? with futile plans. The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Never know what's going to land. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. The Spirit-filled church prays for boldness and power. As we look at this, the first thing that we need to honor and recognize is that they prayed. That, that, that they prayed. As soon as they were freed, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to, the New Living says, to the other believers and told them what they'd said. Uh, the wooden says, uh, the, the literal, they returned to their own. I want you to see that this is what the church does. In times of joy and or in times of crisis, in times of challenge or opportunity or even persecution, they did not withdraw. They do not hide. They do not separate. They gather. The church gathers. This is what we do. We are defined. We are, we are the ecclesia, those called out to be together. So we gather together. They came together. And this is what we do for any kind of crisis or opportunity. We come together. Yeah. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices. Lifted their voices together to prayer in God. In prayer to God. You know why I like that? Because it's you will find it hmm, slim. Hang on, let me do a quick Google search. Um, I do not think you will find, nope, nope, nope. I do not think you will find a, a, you know, prayers described in the scripture where people are praying like this. 
<laughs> Maybe by themselves. But when the church prays together, it shouldn't sound like a mausoleum. It should sound like an orchestra. Not like a not like a parade, you know, with clanging this and clanging that, but people joining their voices together in concerted prayer. Pray like you mean it. <sighs> they lifted their voice in prayer. In response to crisis, in response to opportunity, in response to injustice or persecution or pain, the church prays together robustly. Someone just told me, hey, this is a national day of prayer for uh, the people of Afghanistan. I would assume particularly for the church in Afghanistan. This is what we do. We gather. We pray. A little meddling here. A little meddling, but also perhaps some good preaching. (laughs) Perhaps we should consider what they did not do. They didn't. They didn't get together and scramble for a new mission statement. <laughs> this calls for a fresh vision statement. You know what we need here? A new hashtag. <laughs> they did not call their attorney and ask them to present new guidelines for complying with unjust overreach or risk management. If you know, that's pretty funny. They didn't even plan. Of course, there's times for planning, and you know, I'm not anti-plan, but just they didn't get together and make a plan. They didn't scheme. They didn't strategize. They prayed. The Sanhedrin, they planned. They scooted the guys out the room and they got together and they huddled up and they got their they huddled up and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to threaten them. We're going to threaten them really, really good. And then if they don't comply, we're going to get them. Okay, good plan. Ready, break. They planned. The church prayed. We can do a lot after and because we have prayed. But unless we pray or until we pray, we can't do much at all. Because prayer affects heaven. Prayer affects earth. Prayer affects us. Prayer is the only thing that does all three of those. So we pray. How did they pray? That they prayed, very important. But how? How did they pray? Big deal. First, this is so cool. They prayed with an awareness of the greatness of God. They prayed first with an awareness of the greatness of God. Here's how their prayer begins. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. There is nothing outside of your creative authority, O God. What they actually begin with, the the Greek is, O despota. They called to him, you are the unchallengeable power. Now that's a way to begin a prayer, especially if you need help. Oh, 
get, you know, give me Jesus on the main line. Hello, I need the unchallengeable power, please. Oh, unchallengeable power, you have created. You're the creator. Everything that is comes from you. So what do they do as they pray? They begin their prayer by filling their hearts and their minds with who God is and what he has done before they begin to petition him to do something now. The greatness of God, his rule, his power, it, it quiets us, it stills us, it steals us, it strengthens us. So that, like them, we pray not from despair, but from awe. The Spirit-filled church does not pray from despair, but from awe, from wonder and from worship. Do you know, our, I, I, can, I have a, all kinds of books on it, but I can read you the quotes. When I, I, I say things often like our Pentecostal forefathers, and I suppose I mean these folks right here, but I mean the folks that, that were a part of, uh, you might say, the Pentecostal renaissance of the early 1900s. What they said about them is they believed that prayer could do anything that God could do. And since God could do anything, their prayers could do anything. And they believed that they could bend reality to the whim of their prayers. So they prayed like it. And they did it. <laughs> we are people who pray from a presumption that we are talking to the unchallengeable power. We pray from a place of awe and wonder. We believe that prayer can do anything that God can do, and God can do anything. <laughs> so we pray like it. You created, they said. Then... Verse 25, you spoke. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our, our ancestor David. And they quote Psalm 2. They say, Lord, you spoke. You're the God. You're not only the God of creation, you're the God of revelation. Yeah. You spoke before this. Through the Holy Spirit, they, they understand that the, the Scripture is alive. The Spirit-filled church prays from wonder, it prays from awe, and it prays believing that the Word of God is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. We pray the word. Yes. Mm. Yes. They said, you have spoken. And then they said, and, and, and the Psalm 2 says, why are the nations angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? They prepare for battle. They gather together against the Lord and against his, his Messiah. Uh, David, writing this psalm, is recognizing that he is the anointed king and that, the, the, that the, the, the nations surrounding him in battle, they're wasting their time. And then they recognize, but the church recognizes the fulfillment of Psalm 2 because it says all the nations gather together and you hear them say, and this happened in our city, and then they delineate. They say the Gentiles, the Romans, all the people of Israel, basically all the nations gathered together at the crucifixion to... to, to uh, to overcome or to be against the Lord's anointed. But here's the rest of it. Here's what we know. 
Here's what they knew as they were praying. Here's the rest of Psalm 2. The rest of Psalm 2 says, but, I know this is, how many are grateful for but? Okay, okay. The nations rage, they plan, they prepare for battle. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. And he scoffs at them. This is, this is, this, when we pray the word, it forms and fuels our faith. We see in the word that, 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 that history repeats itself, but that God is faithful. (laughs) We pray the word. And then they said, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. They said, Lord, you have created, you have spoken, and you have decided. You are the God of providence. You are the God of creation and revelation and of providence. Lord, men make plans, and they don't surprise you. And in in those plans and through those plans, you redeem, you keep working. We recognize that you have not and cannot lose. So they fill their hearts and their minds with who God is and what he has done. Before... They petition him to act in the now. So first of all, they, they pray with an awareness of the greatness of God. Let's just say the greatness. But then we lean in closer. They don't stop there. Secondly, they pray with an awareness of the nearness of God. The nearness of Hey, praying with an awareness of the greatness of God is very powerful, it's very effective, it's life-changing, but there is nothing that compares to knowing that He's near. Nothing. They say, Lord, hear their threats, the New Living says. Different expressions of this text. "Lord, Lord, look upon their threats. Lord, behold their threats. Lord, consider their threats. Or in other words, lend your attentive eyes to our circumstances. I saw this last night, just in real time as I was saying it out loud. I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know if Luke's doing it on purpose, but do you remember in Acts 3, as Peter and John are coming to the man at the gate beautiful, and in that moment, in the, in the, in the crowd, there we are brought into a, to isolating just Peter and John and the man, and what do they say? Peter says, look at us. And the man gave him their attention. They became face-to-face in the moment of need. And that is what they're asking the Lord to do. Lord, turn your eyes toward us right now. We need a face-to-face moment with you. And the the Spirit-filled church prays, believing that we pray with the face of God toward us. That God sees you. God knows you. God considers you. This is the witness of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that cries out within you, Abba, Father, is the Spirit that gives you assurance that the face of God is upon you. You are praying with His attention. This this idea of God's nearness, He is near. This is fundamental to all of our faith. Hear the faith of the psalmist. I'm going to belabor this point for another moment. The psalmist, Psalm 23, he, he confesses, he celebrates the concept of God's nearness when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Because of that, because of his nearness, he says, I have all that I need. 
I'm confident that I, I lack nothing because God is near. And then he continues. He lets me rest. He leads me. He renews me. He guides me because he's near. And then, bazinga, listen to this one. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. I wonder if anybody knows anything about a valley. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Because you are close beside me. And then he says something that I think borders on a little bit of snark. It doesn't sound like it if you read it, but it is snarky. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now try to visualize that. People surrounding him with swords and spears and angry, violent voices and breathing out threats. And he says, uh, hey, pass the taters. <laughs> or the asparagus. If you know, you know. <laughs> Pass the broccoli. Pass the teeters. Anyway. And then he closes by saying, because of this conviction, he knows this for sure. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love. And the New Living does the best job of translating this next part. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me. All the days of my life. We grew up saying, well, follow me. That sounds like, but follow me is almost passive. He uses a hunting term here. He uses a hunting term. David's a, David's a fierce man. And he says the goodness of God is, that's why he says it's running after me. It's running after me. It's pursuing me. God is more interested in being good to you than you are in him being good. All the days of my life. And my friend Leon always says, how many days? All, All of them. What about Mondays? Yes. <laughs> There's a huge difference. We talk about the nearness of God. There's a huge difference between saying, well, the Lord, God is great, you know, but here we are doing this thing. And then praying, God is great and near, therefore. Yes. Then they prayed. The third thing we see is they prayed with an expectation that God will act on their behalf. They prayed with an awareness of God's greatness, with an awareness of his nearness, and with an expectation that he would act on their behalf. Hear their threats, they said, and therefore give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. They prayed not for escape, but for boldness. They prayed something that sounded like this. Lord, don't let us run from this fight, but give us boldness to run into it. Friends, the world is on fire, but we must be those who run into the burning, not those who run away from it. If ever there were a time for boldness, it is now. Let the lion of the church roar now. Muster your courage or focus your faith. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord your God is with you. 
This is the way. This has always been the way. We pray for boldness to speak his word. To declare the saving power of Jesus Christ. To call people to faith and to righteousness. And to hope in the salvation that is to come. And to live accordingly in the meantime. We pray for boldness to speak his word. But where does this boldness come from? Verse 30 says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The church, the spirit-filled church, prays for the outstretched hand of God. Our boldness comes from our hope in his hand. Our boldness comes from our hope in his hand. Paul will say to the Corinthian church, since we have this hope, we are very bold. Boldness comes from hope. Hope in the very hand of God. They pray. Listen to how they pray. They pray not for miracles of vengeance. Lord, send fire upon the Sanhedrin. No, they tried that before, and Jesus said, no, 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 not even to Samaritans, no, no. Nope, he said, nope. And then he sighed real heavily and rolled his eyes. Remember I tell you it's always Peter, James, John, and Dav? That times it was just James and John, I wasn't there. I was with the other guys going, yeah, those guys, They pray not for vengeance, but they pray for miracles of mercy. Lord, stretch out your hand. Lord, they're against us, but stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders. We must never change the subject. We must never let off the gas because this, God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. That was the plan. That is the plan. And there will never be another plan or a better plan. We will not be overcome by evil. We will overcome evil with good. Our boldness and our effectiveness depends directly on the outstretched hand of God to do good. This must always be our prayer. What happened when they prayed? How did heaven answer? After this prayer, the meeting place shook. (laughs) As if God appreciated that prayer. (laughs) One of the church fathers wrote that the place was shaking, the place was shaken, making them unshakable. But then Luke tells us, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Ooh, let's say it together. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're keeping track, uh, this is number three for Peter. This is the Spirit-filled church. 
The spirit-filled life means I am filled and I am being filled and I am looking to be filled some more. And then filled again. Well, what about next week? Filled. What about next year? Oh, my God. Filled. I'm living today full, but guess what? Here's the good news is I live full, but I long to be filled. Filled, filled, filled. And listen, this is Peter for crying out loud, and he's already at number three. If you're still leaning back on number one and, and ought 42, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. mean they were filled with the spirit well no doubt they sensed an awareness of the the greatness of god the nearness of god by the spirit they 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 felt a renewed sense of his presence and likely there was fresh expression of praise and prophetic utterance they were aware of the the renewed empowering presence and holy influence of the spirit of god and because of that they spoke the word of god with great boldness We need to hear this again, friends. The Holy Spirit is the answer to our prayers. We pray for boldness. We pray for power. He sends us the Holy Spirit. We pray for help. We pray for healing. He'll send us the Holy Spirit. We seek holiness. We seek guidance. We seek wisdom. God will send us His Holy Spirit. Since now we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Whatever we need, it will come from His holy influence and His empowering presence. Yes. This is the Spirit-filled church. So they, they, they preach the Word with great boldness. <laughs> Luke loves the virtue of boldness. He ties it to us having been with Jesus. He connects it to being filled with the Spirit. And he describes it as the virtue that most characterizes our Christian witness. There is nothing timid or cowardly or corrupt culture accommodating about the spirit-filled church. We pray for boldness, we pray for power, and God gives us His Spirit. He does not cancel persecution. He acts through His church in the midst of it. One more time, permission to be snarky. I don't recommend it. We don't like to have it as part of our culture. But if you'll permit me a bit of snark, here it is. Where now today is the Sanhedrin? Where now today are the carnal rulers of Rome? Where today are all who throughout history have sought to silence the name of Jesus? They lie in discarded heaps of history. But the name of the Lord Jesus remains and rises forevermore. Do your worst, world, evil, for we will do our best. The Spirit-filled church prays for boldness and power. But our boldness is not hubris. It is not aggression. Our boldness is confidence. Our boldness is fearless love. Our, our boldness is ready and joyful obedience. Our boldness is generous and it is gracious. Yes. Our boldness comes from our awareness of the greatness and the nearness of God and our total dependence upon the goodness 
of his outstretched hand. This is the Spirit-filled church. This is the Spirit-filled church. Our musicians are going to lead us in the chorus. I'm going to ask you just to wait upon the Holy Spirit just for a few moments, and then we'll pray. First of all, Lord, we acknowledge gratefully, wonderfully, Lord, that you are great, that you are worthy of praise. Lord, you are the unchallengeable power. You are the creator. Lord, you have spoken and we have your word and we stand upon it and we pray from it and because of it. And now, Lord, we ask because of who you are and all that you've done, we would ask today, again, afresh, that you would look upon our circumstances in our homes, our hearts, our cities, upon the world today. And Lord, we just mer- we ask for your mercy. Lord, would you give us boldness to speak the word of Jesus Christ while you stretch out your hand. We seek the hand of God outstretched to heal, Lord, to work signs and wonders. The same Spirit that rested upon our Savior, rest upon your church to go about doing good and healing all who are under the tyranny of the devil. This is the Spirit-filled church. Come, Holy Spirit, for Christ's sake, come now fill your people yeah. we pray as we close this morning I want to just say two couple of things there may be those that have gathered today and you are a candidate for the hand of God you need healing you need a miracle in your life we believe the hand of God begins right here at home right here among his own people God is aware God is near God is great and he is present today by his Holy Spirit you're here today and you need a miracle in your life you need healing in your life we would love to pray for you we want to anticipate the hand of God to touch you if you, if you, like, if you need prayer that way I would ask you to come over here to my right and your left kind of this side 
Can, if, as we close, I'm going to have them sing again. And as they do, if you'd like prayer, come and stand over here. Others, we've talked about how the Spirit-filled church is filled and filled and filled and filled again. And if that resonates in your heart, just say, Lord, I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much experience you have or haven't had. Today's a great day to open your heart with gratitude and say, Lord, fill me again. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Amen? I want to be, so if you're seeking to be filled with the Spirit, I want to pray with you over here. If you need a miracle, you need healing in your body, I'd like to pray for you over here. If you need both, just come. All right? So I'm going to have them sing that again. And I'm, I'm looking for maybe some of my prayer workers to come and help me pray. But I really look forward to laying hands on you today, praying with you. If you'd like prayer, come. Lead us again in that chorus, please. Otherwise, if you need to go, you certainly can. You can find your children. You can get some more coffee. Have a wonderful day. If you'd like prayer, though, let's come and pray now. Strongholds and keep.